Welcome to the show. You can watch and subscribe to the Project FIA TV show on YouTube. Drop comments and questions to us on the podcast via Twitter. Our handle is Project FIA. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy. This is Project FIA Goes PC. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, good night. Whatever time of day this reaches you around the world, this is FIA Goes PC episode 105. 105 if you prefer. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's a bingo call, I just don't know it. I did, uh, well, I was given the sort of video game tutorial of a day's work at a bingo hall when I was looking for a job way back when I was a lot younger. And uh, I, it wasn't for me. I walked out. Uh, too many things to remember, too many people to serve, not a good with a mass amount of people. I can handle a few. Uh, it's a bit of a popular thing here in the UK, bingo. You can win a kettle, uh, maybe an iron, uh, some clothes, maybe some socks. It's not quite the same allure as a lot of the ones in the US have. We call that Vegas and it's gambling and it's a casino. But hey, I think they have bingo too, community centers. Uh, who knows? I'm just not there right now. I'm here in a treehouse, no leaves. And it's been an interesting couple of weeks. You can tell I'm distracted because I'm looking over in the tiny little shack that we call our treehouse at our producer, Winifred Solo. Hello. And you've just been staring at a wall for an entire week. Have I? Yeah. No, I haven't. You have. You've been looking at a wall. I'm not sure why. Which wall? I think you've been practicing your transcendental meditation techniques. Uh, well, I don't know which wall. Just the wall in front of you. There's only like four. There's only four. So take a pick. Uh, what, you mean the one with the window? Is there a window? As much <laughs> as a hole? I don't know. Anyway, um, we've had my cousins, Will and James, came up. Uh, that was a lot of fun. And ever since you, you nearly won... We played crazy golf, folks, and uh, I'm sure you all know what crazy golf is. It's golf, but it's crazy. And uh, we, you were doing really well. I was. Up until the last hole on the second course where you just couldn't figure out any physics or anything. And I think since then, you have literally <laughs> been staring at a wall, repeating the process. You see, this is how you know that Wynn is actually an avid golfer in the works because she's basically been staring at the wall trying to figure out mistakes. Is that correct? Uh, no, but thanks for bringing that up. I'm traumatized now. Exactly. <laughs> uh, had to bring it up. Uh, you were doing so well. It was such a difficult course. It was like up a ramp, like a hill. And then the ball kept going up and then coming back down. And what made it worse was it was very popular <laughs> the day we went. Uh, obviously, post-pandemic, everyone's gone a bit kind of mad here in the UK. When I say it's post-pandemic, it isn't. The pandemic's still there, but... We are more laxed here. We're allowed to do things like play crazy golf, apparently. And uh, it was quite a packed out place. And so not only did you have the pressure of trying to get, you know, through the course, but you had a whole team of people behind you waiting to get on the, the, the hole, I guess, that we were on. So there was a queue. There was a long, long mm -hmm. queue. And mm -hmm. we were getting very uh, tired of waiting it took hours and hours and hours for you to uh, make it but uh it was fun we had a good time didn't we yep 
It's a good time. It was interesting to see Birmingham back to life. A mm-hmm. uh, bit of a thing going on during the time they were here. There was the uh, Birmingham Weekender. Big shout out if you're ever in Birmingham for that in Lots the future. Lots of events and art stuff and outdoor theatery stuff. Yeah, lots of things going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we avoided all of it. Just played crazy <laughs> golf in a awesome place that we actually, I think we we went there first with Pete, Unicorn Slayer. Well, it's in an area that we've filmed at before, so yeah, it's our local entertainment hub, which is mostly <laughs> all of Birmingham that we filmed in season one, more or less. All the good stuff. Uh, we avoided the bad stuff. Uh, and the re- there's, there is actually a rational reason that we avoid the bad stuff, uh, proven uh, lately, because uh, Sir Tom cruised into town. That's, Sir that's Tom literally the headline. Cruised into town. Sir Tom cruised into town. Uh, this is obviously Sir Tom of Cruise and the cruise, <laughs> cruise people, uh, the family cruise. Uh, that's actually an activity, isn't it? A family cruise. You can yeah. go down the Nile <laughs> and do all of that. Anyway, Tom Cruise was in town. He, he was, was, uh, he was making part of what we believe to be uh, Mission, Mission Impossible, Impossible. Uh, 78. Yes. Uh, or that could be 7 and 8. I think he's doing them back to back. Obviously not alone. He's got a team. Um, he's been doing this for the last couple of years. It's been a big project for them because obviously things have been shut down and mm-hmm. reopened and all mm-hmm. this stuff. And, uh, well, seeing Tom Cruise in Birmingham is kind of like seeing the Queen driving into a drive through McDonald's in your local town. Yeah, you don't. Ordering a Happy Meal. See that. It's very rare. <laughs> I mean, it happens. Does it? But it's very rare. Yeah, she, she's... Extremely unlikely. She likes her Happy Meals, I'm told. <laughs> um, but, yeah, Tom Cruise, uh, it, it was kind of interesting because... I keep saying this to America and there's not really been uh, much I can sort of say by way of evidence, but the reaction to Tom Cruise being in Birmingham was very muted. For uh, a start, there was no paparazzi. We don't have that here. We don't have a national paper. There's no big importance to anything really in Birmingham, uh, unless it's local. Like basically a plumber wins an award, then everyone cares (laughs) about it. But when it's a mega international superstar coming here... No one believes it. No it's, one it's, even knew. Well, it's completely unbelievable. You mm-hmm. would never think it. I yeah. mean, Peaky Blinders didn't even film here. It's set here, historically, I should say, like a period thing. Yeah. But it never filmed here. No, Because really. uh, it's too modern, I suppose. <laughs> uh, it's hard to get away with, uh, you know, a big kind of super mall in the center and the new train station look, which looks like an octopus monster. Um, yeah, they they literally didn't sort of film here so it's interesting that tom cruise did and the reaction mostly was we don't believe it's tom cruise that picture isn't tom cruise it's a look-alike yeah so that's news reporting for any celebrity it's kind of the reason we came back here from hollywood we came back here to watch all recognizability and any kind of celebrity pressure fade to oblivion because no one cares no one cares here mm. You did a movie here, no one cares. <laughs> if you did a movie here, everyone's like, oh, I did a film last weekend on TikTok. Yeah, that's dead easy. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, it seems to go over people's heads. The saddest thing about it, though, was it, it, it was like it was going great. Like, basically, the only picture that came out online that said he was here was a local Indian restaurant. Mm-hmm. 
that he went to during lunch hours. No entourage, no anything, just no, him. Just walking uh, down the street. Just walking down the street, <laughs> found this place. And the comments on uh, Twitter that followed it were very kind of like, it started off really interesting, like no one believed it was Tom Cruise. Mm. Then everyone said, oh, it is actually Tom Cruise. And then they're like, well, he looks different. And then someone was like, yeah, he looks weirder now. <laughs> and then it goes down the list to the point where it's like, and he had a double order at the Indian place because this is all the management talking to their clientele if you will mm. and they're like yeah he had a double order of what he ordered and then someone suddenly goes wow you should have bigger portions nah. and then it suddenly isn't about tom cruise it's about the restaurant yeah. so any pr that could have been done within this kind of sentence was out the window so uh that was that uh that that was literally the only press shots mm -hmm. it was just what the the restaurant took yeah uh bbc news didn't really cover it or anything like that until the end where his bodyguard's car was stolen, mm -hmm. right? And all of the luggage that Tom Cruise had for his next port call or whatever went with it. But I found the car and it was completely non-damaged, non-scratched, nothing, just parked up. But all luggage had gone. So New generation Peaky Blinders. It was well, I them. think you've got to really be careful which bodyguards you're hiring in no. Birmingham. Uh, <laughs> we had a similar experience, actually, once... Because uh, when I was younger, we went to Aston Villa to watch mm. a football match. Right. And it's a notoriously dark area um, because it was nighttime and <laughs> there was no sunlight. Uh, and it was winter, so it's darker for longer. But it's, it's kind of like got a reputation. Back in sort of the 90s, it was pretty hostile there. Mm. I'll put it that way. Sure. And my dad parked his car up and there was this young kid sort of walking around the streets and he was like, hey, I'll pay you if you look after the car. Because that's what the kids were doing. They mm. were getting tipped yeah. to protect people's cars during a football match. <laughs> of course, we get back, windows smashed, everything oh, stolen no. from inside it. Uh, which wasn't a lot of good stuff. It was mostly tissues. I mean, this, this was an age before cell phones and mm. smartphones and lots of smartphones and kind of dumb phones. Uh, but things were broken into and stuff like this. So, so that... Not only did Didn't I have work. to watch Aston Villa, which is not my cup of tea anyway, because okay. I'm a Liverpool supporter, but I went through that. Uh, I had to come back with everyone to see the car being broken into. So I can relate to how Tom Cruise is feeling. That's what I'm saying. Mm. Because all of these guys grew up and they're running a bodyguard company in, yeah. uh, in Birmingham. No. And, and they will steal from you. Yeah, yeah. You can't trust it because they're, they're actually, uh, you know, securely... Uh, security stealers that's what the the company is called and you shouldn't really hire them what they'll secure you to the point where they steal everything from you, you see so anyway i'm very sorry that his trip to <laughs> birmingham was so ruined by that Dampened, experience it's because yeah. it, you know it's it's so rare for people to be here filming you want it to have a good kind of reputation yeah, and absolutely. so that more people will turn up because spielberg came here not so long ago yes he filmed in digbeth yeah, making Ready Player One. That's right, yeah. Uh, and I'm pretty sure he had that phone conversation with Tom Cruise. Oh, you want to go to Birmingham because, you know, you don't have to pay for anything there. <laughs> uh, you know, all the CCTV footage, which is closed circuit television, that'll film your film. It's all in high angle, so you get the best views. And you can blow up whatever you want because no one in Birmingham is going to care. No. And, and that's basically <laughs> the conversation. So, of course, natural. Uh, let's make a Mission Impossible action sequence in Birmingham. 
but he did shoot in a train station, we, we're led to believe. Yeah. When the press caught up with it, mm. they talked to someone who'd witnessed it. Yeah. <laughs> talked to Tom Cruise, just someone that was there. Um, and yeah, this is so unglamorous. It's so unprofessional it's, from oh, a journalistic man. point it, of it, view. It, this is we just, talked to a guy who saw yeah, Tom Cruise. We saw him, well, maybe it was. We just don't know. It looked a lot no like proof. him. Uh, he was also carrying a lot of luggage at the time and running swiftly towards a getaway vehicle. Mm. Um, so they didn't put two and two together. You should pick better eyewitnesses of celebrities. But he was filming the train station. And I've realized what the scene was. What's the scene? Well, we're notorious here in Birmingham for being a central hub of the entire UK. You can get anywhere in the UK, to and from the UK, from Birmingham. Yeah, it's geographically, the, it's kind of in the middle. It's where all the train tracks link, you see? So, the lower uh, part, yeah. We don't have to do that. It's <laughs> weird. It was not quite in the middle. You don't have to twist the <laughs> invisible gauge. Oh, was that was... I was pointing out the like, invisible man. Because you got a headset on. It felt like you were a DJ <laughs> setting. It's kind of in the tweaky-tweaky. Um, anyway, so we always have, notoriously have delays on mm. our trains. The Mission Impossible scene he filmed was he has to get this train on time and has to leave. Oh, no. Because it never happens in reality. It's totally impossible. <laughs> They'll never be on time. I'm guessing that's what it was. But anyway, it was really encouraging because we've had quite a lot of... Ever since we got back from LA, mm -hmm. uh, we've had so many things turn up in the Midlands to film. We had Ready Player One, which I've already said, just happened as we came back. Yeah, same year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so all of this stuff is happening. It's almost like we're getting kind of all of Hollywood's work. Why did we go to LA when everyone's coming here? Well, <laughs> we thought the industry was there. Apparently it isn't. Um, so recently, though, there's been a lot more things. So Tom Cruise started it off. Then there was a farmer, I believe, in uh, Derbyshire, mm. which isn't too far away, still the Midlands. And he was driving or whatever, getting lost in the old country. And uh, this guy asked him for directions who uh, was driving this massive truck with a horse-drawn carriage on it that the press instantly claimed was probably from uh, the Game of Thrones prequel that's been filmed here. Yeah, it looked like a prop is what they said. Yeah, but what they don't understand, and there's a bit of context for the international uh, people listening, is this is a good example of how the press basically get things wrong. They allude to things and go off speculation more than facts quite a lot of the time. Uh, and this proves it because everyone in Derbyshire, as we know, being from the north, which is basically anything that's outside of London in the UK, that's how people get from A to Travel. B in Derbyshire. They still do horse-drawn <laughs> horse carriages. carriages. And when I have a punctured wooden tyre, which I'm still trying to figure out because the wheels are totally wooden, uh, they have to call out you know, the, the vehicle service, the tow truck. And uh, you know, it's just <laughs> like a normal vehicle. And the horses get on holiday. Uh, basically, they uh, go down the fields and have a bit of grass while the wheel's fixed. I'm not sure how you get a puncture on a wooden tire, but they did. That's strange. It is strange. <laughs> what is stranger, if it was, let's say, because I still believe it was just a gypsy site, <laughs> these traveling gypsies in a field in Derbyshire and they had got a wooden tire puncture, uh, and everyone goes ballistic and thinks, oh, they're going to film the Game of Thrones prequel here. 
that's one narrative. The other narrative, if it is true, if, this, if the press know a bit more information, they're just leaking it, and it was a prop from the Game of Thrones prequel, it was a huge truck for a small thing, mm. right? So if they're actually carrying all their props out that way, do you, not feel, do you not feel <laughs> that's where a lot of the budget's being wasted? Mm. See, they need better Logistics. money management, you see. Um, that could be a really good tie-in to a sponsor of finances like you know got some loans need some help with them but obviously we don't have any sponsors no. so <laughs> not yet make it up <laughs> um so yeah so that's happening lord of the rings is obviously returning uh mm-hmm, to the mm-hmm. uh uk and as we were walking the other day revisiting uh steps of our youth <laughs> <laughs> from uh way back when we're trying to explore what's actually open and not yeah. around the forest. And we uh, we hit a kind of a hiking path that's usually reserved for uh, badgers and uh, smaller animals. Uh, but we took it. Uh, it's got a sign. A it says badger, badger, hiking, badger path? hiking path. Yeah, it's a they thing. They don't have to hike. They just go. They just walk. Well, it's only a human interpretation, hike? isn't it? I mean, hiking is pretty much going for walk. <laughs> so... It's, it, you know, I mean, that's all it is. Um, so, yeah, it's just an expression, I suppose. But it's a bike, a biker, a badger's biker trail. No, it's a badger. It's a, it's a badger hiking trail. It's not a bike gang of badgers. Uh, that could exist, too. Uh, it is not that. Uh, we were basically walking along it anyway, uh, reliving old times. And I had this amazing epiphany as we walked past a very modern supermarket that you could see clearly through the wood that it's about time that someone had an attempt to kind of remake uh, Monty Python the Holy Grail. I also think Monty Python could be a reinterpreted sort of legendary thing where you collect this generation's greatest com- uh, comedic writers from the UK, maybe one American and if I had my one American of choice, it would be Bill Burr. And you bring them all together and you have a super group and it just borrows a name. And obviously John Cleese, Michael Palin, the remaining Pythons that are still alive, uh, Terry Gilliam, etc. Uh, they get royalties from it, like an executive producer credit. So you keep it alive for the new generation, it's my thought. And then you could make the Holy Grail and it would be a great thing because they had a low budget and just walk through a cusp where you can see a massive supermarket and you'd cut to all of the knights in their Templar attire going into the supermarket and ordering a baguette whilst looking for the Holy Grail. It's funny as a scene, I thought. I don't understand. Okay, good. When you listen back to this, it might make sense. I got to the Badger Trail. Well, that's where you were. That's where, that's where you signed up. Anyway, it was a thought. I okay. thought, like you know, there's there's sort of things that in time will lose and completely just fade away. Right. And I think it's a bit of an iconic British thing. I mean, they created it, right? The the group of John Cleese, uh, Graham Chapman, Terry Gilliam, Terry Jones. I can't remember it. Michael Palin. They all created Monty Python. But I think as an institution, you could rebrand it, like reboot the construct. Like a supermarket. No, 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 no. <laughs> as, we were, lost. as we were walking through the Badger hiking trail, I said to you, through the leaves, we could see this massively modern supermarket 
right? And I thought I had an instant flash of they could make Holy Grail again. And you just have the same scene, like the Knights of St. Nee. And then right after that scene, you cut through and they walk through into a modern era, go into a supermarket and have a baguette oh, and say nothing. Like there's no, because that's a comedic thing of Monty Python where you literally just take what you think in pretext is this ancient time. Right, so you think it's an olden day thing. Yeah, but then they cut to and it's a normal... And then it turns out that it's actually a modern yeah, supermarket. Because that's kind of what they were going for in it. I believe the ending uh, of certain things that he did suddenly broke the fourth wall and it was modern and it had like, you know, a Mercedes pull up and say, all right, lads, start unpacking a set, we've got to go. <laughs> But I think, like, what I'm trying to say is comedy has the... the it's ha It's got a permanent hole that Monty Python filled in. Mm. And no one's really doing it again, you see. So I always think uh, comedy brain, when we're walking out, that would be a really funny sequence. Now it's been completely ruined. <laughs> I was so Because you were, still, you were still happily thinking about badger Bad hiking trails, you see. Biking badgers. All right, that's a cartoon. Uh, possibly <laughs> the biking badges of Benidorm <laughs> it's gotta be a B uh, anyway um, enough of that craziness it's been interesting because uh, I think having Will and James here we obviously have kind of our ritual thing where we never really leave the forest so they wanted to they're obviously young and they want to go off and explore and do things and stuff like this so it was interesting to see what it has open and gone back to a sense of normalcy it almost feels weird though i feel like we're getting this kind of strange sort of um isolated brain where home is your life and then when you go out into the world again it's very much like you shouldn't really be doing it but you, you're kind of breaking a law in some weird way yeah everyone's used to being at home now. yeah it's so weird because before it was kind of like you did everything you could to get out of home yeah and now it's like, I'm not sure if I should even be. We're all homebodies now. Yeah, it's a strange feeling. So it was interesting through them because they were looking at uh, different activities and stuff around mm -hmm. Birmingham, which is mostly open up. And it's a very big thing to have that. Like, you know, when you can actually just walk into a restaurant like normally and stuff yeah. like this, it just feels so much better. It, it, it's been super weird. It's like two years. It's amazing how quickly civilization falls apart to the individual i think mm. you know we always talk about it as a mass thing but i think just solo as a life experience has been a very strange thing and our lockdown was slightly more than most because of what we lived in uh, hong kong yeah yeah and japan really because when they had the uh super typhoon that yeah we, we, we were locked down then too because yeah. of the weather <laughs> well it was also everything was like it was uh yeah so it's been weird weird i feel like maybe we are unknowingly majorly trendsetters in really bizarre ways what do you mean well do you remember the godzilla remake the brian cranston yeah. reboot yeah and how I commented that the whole story seemed to be wherever Brian Cranston went, chaos followed him. Yeah. Like in a suitcase. Sure. Like Godzilla would have never turned up, say. If Brian Cranston. Unless Brian Cranston was there. Go there, yeah. It's a contract thing. <laughs> it's it's to follow. Yeah. So the monster's only like, well, I was a massive fan of Breaking Bad, you see, fellas, <laughs> and uh, I'll only appear in tokens and ravage it if if Brian Cranston turns up. It's in up my there. contract clause. But it's, there's a lot of films that I feel, I wouldn't say it's lazy writing, but it kind of is, where it's a bit like, 
it sort of presents a world where everything's all, like utopian. And then this one character opens a satchel and Hal breaks out of it, literally. Mm, Pandora's box. Kind of a deal. And yet there's no reason for him to do it and there's no reason for it to overturn. But then from that point, he's the anchor of chaos. Mm. But he's also the hero, which it's kind of lazy writing. It's almost like, well, would Godzilla have really done this unless he was there? <laughs> you know? Um, there's better films in that genre like Cloverfield I think did a better job because it felt a bit like an interactive theme park ride going through the monster movie of Cloverfield but Godzilla felt a little bit like whichever plane, train, bus, car or person Cranston spoke to or got in or travelled would get destroyed extremely convenient it's odd Mm. so uh, I feel like we're that <laughs> and wherever we, we go, something happens oh. in the world of trend. For example, we got locked down ahead of everyone in the world, and then we kind of went to Japan and that got locked down. Mm. And then we came to the UK three months later, everything gets locked down. <laughs> and then you've got the whole, you know, uh celebrity thing, just all of the basically our audience knows. Uh, that every celebrity and influencer on the planet and politician listens to this podcast and all heavy executive decisions are made from things that I say. Uh, I'm basically one of those guys. You know, each generation has that guy. (laughs) I'm that guy. Uh Uh, That's why there's only like three people listening to this show. Um, (laughs) No, it's not true. And two of them are us. Uh, So thanks to the extra guy or girl uh, or dog or cat or batcher that's a biker. I don't know who you are. But uh, we appreciate uh, our listener. Pardon? We have quite a few. Oh, I just thought you'd open a, pa- a <laughs> pan of Pepsi. A can of Pepsi. What's a, what's a pan of Pepsi? Oh, jeez. Oh, uh, I, I haven't got my teeth on today, uh, my head. I haven't got them on my head or in my mouth. Um, it's weird. Like, I think anyone who is listening, and we do have more than one listener, thank goodness. Otherwise... Uh, you know, why would we do this? Um, but there are people, I'm sure, that have a similar kind of kind of life-shifting experience where you think something and then a week later it, it literally happens. Mm. Like a thought can become full focused. Yeah. It's very odd. And when we did turn up here, um, I did say to you, like one of my first feelings was there was an energy in the Midlands where things were shifting and moving to mm. the point where it felt like it could be as exciting as it once was in LA. LA's got this kind of electricity. Yeah, the kind of raw energy. Yeah, like, and it was happening here. And Fun and so games. it's odd that people are coming in to make films mm. and stuff nearby. Yeah. It's quite incredible. I, I do think that there's a lot of industries that kind of reach to a point, especially Hollywood and the film industry, where the way it was working was not going to work for much longer. Yeah. It was too suffocating. They were having some trends as well, even before all this, where they were going to like Romania to film, to Canada, tax breaks or whatnot. So this is just the next well, evolution. That's the, that's I guess, the beginning I guess. of this this sort of the the tax situation in California was getting so ridiculously mm. high. Filming in California was almost not an option. And then LA released that. They actually created a tax break for filming, and that's why Lucifer moved from Canada. Yeah. The show Lucifer, not Satan. <laughs> not... 
But I mean, he could, you could argue <laughs> that happened he's not too. Mate. He left Canada because we all know that Satan lives in Canada, and he moved back to Los Angeles. Yeah, the TV um, show loose. Yeah, <laughs> basically because you can now film. But yeah. that was after we did ours. Yeah. Which is why I'm saying there's this weird. It's almost like we are historically changing the world just by being places. Well, that's kind of a nice thought. I think, it's, I think it's a fact. I think it's like this <laughs> odd superpower that you don't realize that you have the ability to change everything by saying something dumb. And then that dumb thing actually transpires. Like it's going to be a worldwide trend soon to have biker badges and a biker badger a hiking trail. It's, everyone's going to have one. Um, but yeah, it's just been a lot of circumstantial odd stuff. Um, there's a lot of people who go deep into this on podcasts where they go like, oh, that's because you have the power to change the world with your mind as an individual. I'm Butterfly like, effect. I don't think it's that because everything that's changed or transpired to be the changes haven't been things I wanted to happen. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's like it's an observation but it's not something I want not particularly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of a serendipity to all of it where you have a thought sure. and then you, you sort of set your life on that motion kind of a deal. But this is one of these things where it's a passing observation that I'll say to you or someone else and it'll be like, Oh, three weeks later, that's just happened. So it's, it's an odd feeling. Okay. And, um, we're in a situation where, you know, through my cousins uh, saying like, hey, let's do this and let's do that. And can we do this and can we do that? It makes you really appreciate what's around here. Mm, there's a lot of things to do around here. Well, I wanted to do this latest fad, this latest trend called bouldering, which to me just sounded like you get these catapults and shoot boulders at each other, no. which is what I was hoping for. <laughs> I was hoping it'd be like the extreme nerf game. Uh. You obviously couldn't kill people with actual boulders, but you'd get these big foam ones, <laughs> you see. That's what I thought it was. But like, it turns like out... Like dodgeball, but with boulders? Not, you don't have to dodge it. You just have to time it to <laughs> knock so them off their tower. Of whatever. It's not stupid. It's brilliant. It's kind of like... I always thought of it like Angry Birds for real. Bouldering, uh, you see. Okay. Like it's an app game that's coming soon uh, by Nerf. I don't know. But of but, course it isn't. It's more like rock climbing. Well, here's the thing. So there's we we filmed at Rock Up yes. in Birmingham, which is a climbing center, which is just these towers. Uh climbing walls. Yeah. Yeah. But bouldering is seems to be like an entire surface of a virtual cliff. Is no, that right? It's an actual cliff. Oh, is it? Not always. I've seen model ones. <laughs> They're really small. Well, That's the beginner's level. Bouldering doesn't require a harness, so it's not as it doesn't have the height that uh, climbing walls have. Right, so it's like freestyle. Kind of, yeah. So it's like going back to Mission Impossible logic. It's the second one where he starts off <laughs> yeah. and he's climbing that wall, uh, as opposed to the sixteenth one where he's like climbing a vertical tower uh, in Dubai. That there's been so many impossible yeah. missions. By the way, they're always possible. Well, yeah, we, we covered this when we talked about but it. But they are. They're always possible. So it, they need to For change. <laughs> it, it has to become a different title. It's getting ridiculous because they're always... Mission impossible for everyone but Tom Cruise. No, Tom Cruise, basically, they, they have a plan. This is what I've noticed in the later ones. And he's becoming uh, more senior in his years. And he looks incredible. Yeah. Like he's going to be either he's over 60 or he's approaching 60. But he looks ridiculous. He looks the same. It's like redefined age. Yeah. But basically, 
I think he's having a bit of a senior thing as a character in the Mission Impossible. Because have you noticed lately, there's always a plan. And they go over the plan 600 times. They go over the plan all the time. And they're like, are we all good? Yeah, we're all good. And then he just does whatever he wants anyway. So <laughs> why why are you suddenly like climbing on a plane, dude? What's up with that? Oh, well, the plan wasn't, you know, I think if we did the plan, it would probably be uh, impossible. <laughs> so I'm just filling in the gaps here, you know, by doing some crazy stunts, you know. Mm. Um, that's what's changed in the franchise, I feel. Yeah. But uh, He always has been a bit rebellious, though, for the characters that he plays. Not always. Well, I recently watched one of his old ones, A Few Good Men. What's it about? A Few Good Men. <laughs> well, just in a park? No. Giving each other sandwiches? No. Oh. It's a court drama. Is it? Yes. Like, so it all takes place on a tennis court? No. <laughs> a like law Wimbledon. court. A law court? Yes. That we Well, yeah, they play tennis in those, too. Uh, we don't want to talk about Tom Cruise's back canopy. What I was just saying is, like, you've got... Rock climbing, which is straight up a thing, mm -hmm, and you've got mm -hmm. bouldering, which is Mission Possible 2 intro. Yeah. Okay. But, you know, they, they were like, do you want to do this? And and frankly, well, there's two reasons that I'm not really that kind of uh, audience. It's not that I wouldn't try it. It's just, A, I'm scared of heights. Mm -hmm. uh, not so bad after living in Hong Kong, got to be honest, where everything is sort of gets you over. It's Hong Kong, for someone who has vertigo, is like fear factor. Basically, everywhere you go is going to be 75 stories or more, and you're going to have no choice but to look at massively tall buildings or be in massively tall buildings. Pretty so much. you get over your fear of heights after very uh, many nights and months of uh, traumatic dreams, mm. uh, I've found. But bouldering, I don't like stuff like that. I don't like the climbing towers, and I'm not a big fan of bouldering because it doesn't conclude. It doesn't conclude? No, as a hobby, it doesn't conclude. It's always got a cliffhanger. Oh. oh. And I don't like stuff like that because it's like, oh. I don't want to know what I'm going to do next week. I don't want to tune in again. I just want to do it once and get over it. So stupid. Yeah, but it, it does. It's, it's constantly uh, leaving you in suspense. Mm. Literally, actually, uh, at times. Yeah, or suspended. <laughs> uh, suspended. Uh, for an entire week until the conclusion of the cliff. Hanging off the cliff. I'm not a big fan. I will say that there are, I've got ways I can improve it. What's that? Well, I think everyone's very concerned with global warming. So I think that you should mix it up uh, and make it an Arctic cliff. So it's an ice cap. What? So you're basically bouldering on ice. But that's really slippy. Yeah, but you'd have those suction things that you see. But that's not bouldering then. Oh, it'd be better. <laughs> be better than bouldering <laughs> plus when you get to the top you can have a snowball fight <clears throat> or make a snow cone if you're in japan that's a thing only to see that the glacier is melting at an incredible rate every year <laughs> and the water rising is a, is a real issue well i always found it interesting <laughs> because i think when we uh explored the arctic we came up with the expression a polar ice cap mm. which means that only so many uh so much ice is allowed because the government's put a cap on it surely no i thought it was like because it's like a hat like a cap no it's a big button is it a button yes you, you, the big red shiny button <laughs> and it froze over and if you press that big red shiny button the world goes in on itself and turns into a, a frisbee no it doesn't no it's true no, it's that's true. why it's frozen 
because everyone uh, in prehistoric times in the big ice age where ice was really hip and everyone liked it they had the whole age of spraying the polar area which was basically a bear uh, and his friends the polar area uh, they sprayed it with liquid nitrogen and it froze a big red button because they knew how dangerous it was like if you know we were all worried about world domination and so it's funny we did a show about this in 2017 and nothing's really changed um but basically basically world domination is on everyone's mind again yeah it wasn't for a while now it is again Mm -hmm. and it's either that you know there's a huge conspiracy where the west is trying to control the world or there's a uh uh, another conspiracy where china is trying to do it or russia is trying to do it depends who story you're talking sure exactly the fact of the matter or which perspective you're from but the fact of the matter is no one's trying to do that because there's no one clever enough we are human beings uh descendant from monkeys so obviously there's that uh and we all back in the ice age said well we know there's going to be a point where someone's going to try and push that big red shiny button Mm. that inverts the world and turns into frisbee who made it in the first place why no that's it's 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 the clause it's a rental agreement on earth you see was it there before us it's always been there (gasps) when planets when the dinosaurs are here when planets form from marzipan and tulips um and they turn spherical because of the zero gravity and the uh, not zero gravity, the the uh, the vacuum that is known as uh, space, because we don't have a better name for it, like uh, expanse or uh, <laughs> <laughs> name the blank or uh, big void. Uh, basically, they turn into spheres for some reason. I think it's because they're being thrown. You know, like when you use the candy floss yeah. thing, mm-hmm. and you have to flip it. Yeah. That's basically what gravity is doing to a lot of space dust, right? And so okay. it keeps doing that, yeah. and it spins around really fast, as we know, and it turns every planet into candy yeah. floss particles. Right. The Milky Way is basically candy floss in space. Hmm. Yeah. So you get the heat source, which is your sun, and the heat source in the candy floss thing, which is your fire, Yeah. essentially. I'm not sure how they make candy floss, but I'm going to say fire. <laughs> Okay. To me, it's mystical powers. I thought it was wizardry and and they craft. got fairies in there. Uh, but do they? Uh, it's bad use of fairies. Oh, I, no. I, I, be I didn't un- mean it was made of fairies. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna I was, say. I was gonna no, say I'm, I'm telling you, like, there's gonna to be a movement now. Oh, no. no, no, there's gonna be a movement of, uh, you know, please Fair- save our fairies. <laughs> Disclaimer: Fairy floss. If you ever wanted to know, well, if you ever wanted to know what fairy tasted like, <laughs> it's basically sugar. Which is why the government's telling us not to have it because it's killing a load of fairies, you yeah. see. And they're depleting radically in, in numbers. But anyway, so space basically <laughs> whipped up the universe like a candy floss thing. Okay. Which is why if you go far out enough, um, like away from it with a sort of telescopic kind of point, it looks like a stick of candy floss. It's only when you get close that you see all of the flipping rotating planets, which I'm sure you'd see on your own candy floss. It's to scale. So I think every time you have candy floss, it's basically a universe that you're eating. Of fairies, apparently. I never knew that part. (laughs) Maybe in China. I don't know. They eat everything there. Uh, (laughs) And and by the way, it's always on a stick. So that's interesting. Um, Fairies on a stick, anyone? We call it candy floss. American calls it uh, cotton candy. Cotton candy. Which I think is a bit on the nose, considering the slavery and stuff. (gasps) You know, like... What? You know, because... 
a lot of people worked on the cotton farms, didn't they? It's because it just looks like a big piece of cotton. Is it? That's I don't fluffy. know. Maybe it's maybe it's horrible to to some people in America. I don't know. <laughs> when you go to America for the first time, and I love doing this because I love sort of giving the American uh, listeners what it's like for an English person in America for the first time. One thing that blew my mind there was all of this grape soda stuff. Because mm. like a lot of the ranges are kind of now completely generic around the world of of like sodas and. Yeah. what we call fizzy drinks here or pop and i'd never seen a grape flavored soda in my life yeah and it's everywhere mm-hmm. and that's one of the flavors of the uh snow cone mm. so a lot of it's like bizarre i think it Japan, tastes like bubble gum but it's all the same it's all the same flavor so basically the myth is it's all different colors <laughs> so it plays a mental trick on you but it's all just sugar really yeah there's no actual <laughs> Well, that might be in American stuff, mm. but not in Japan. It's all the same thing. And I learned all of this from playing video games. Because oh. basically there's a video game called Persona 5. Okay. And you have high school test in it, and these are the questions. Oh, they have up. questions about snow cones. Loads of stuff. Like, it's a flavor. <laughs> yeah, it's just crazy. That's so you, so random. But it's almost weird because, like, I mean, many of us uh, don't want to think about high school ever uh, again. But some of us, like myself, are gluttons of punishment and we put ourselves into international high schools in a simulator on a video game. Why? I don't know. But that's what we do. Intercultural understanding. (laughs) Wow, it's so weird. Like, a lot of this stuff is actually um, many European questions and things. Mm. Because you're on the perspective of a Japanese student. Yeah. You're not in the perspective of an international student. And this is an important, vital thing to say because whenever you have a cultural film, something like Money Heist or something like this. Yeah. It's always from the perspective of the nation that you're watching it from. But a lot of people watch stuff like animation and claim it as their own culture, which is why they don't get it. Right. All the idiosyncrasies just seem weird Mm -hmm. because they don't understand it. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, that's an important thing. Mm -hmm. So I've actually done my time in high school in Japan. (laughs) Uh, And past. Albeit... (laughs) It's a very simplified form of it. I'm sure their education system is much more advanced mm. than uh, three questions per yearly essay. Mm. Uh, yeah. You didn't have to write essays in it. That would be the worst video game ever. Oh, yeah. And you'd have to like type it letter by letter using oh, your control. Or just have a squiggle pad that you have to buy separately for a lot more than a squiggle pad is worth. Uh, virtual notebook you'd have to buy for that game. Uh, it basically... The worst video game I can ever think of is you're at Hogwarts because there's this thing called Hogwarts Legacy. Right. Which is basically coming out. Me and my niece, uh, Alice's niece, are really excited about it. Mm. But it's like GTA and Harry Potter. Oh. World. It's not, it's not, when I say that, you're instantly thinking, oh, you're going around doing drug deals. No, and like, no, like, no, no, like no. A, it's like open world. Open world yeah. It's an open world game. You can go anywhere you it's want. It's safe in this for world. children, as far as I know. Uh, <laughs> there's no Hagrid and you don't have a side business, human trafficking or anything like that. It's all no kind of straight edge. Yeah. <laughs> From what I'm seeing, there's no like illegal betting on Quidditch games. No, there's none of that. No. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you get off your broom and start whacking people in the head as you oh, go past. No. So I'm you not can't sure. Do that. I'm not sure what the rules are to it, but um, it's an open world Harry Potter Hogwarts game, and it would be the most cruelest PR campaign if they build this thing up to be one of the most exciting things you've ever seen. And right when you get the game, you see, and we're giving you a tablet 
with this game because you'll need it for all the essay questions. And basically, <laughs> it's just, you know, it's literally a school experience. That would suck, wouldn't it? It would actually be educational, though. It would suck. Everyone's not on my side here. <laughs> no, one's, no one is on This is why I, I have a fundamental issue. I love... Video games are about immersion. Yeah. So a lot of people probably need this lesson, essentially. If you're doing films as a career, video games are films where it's the next level of immersion, usually if it's a heavy story. Mm. If it's something that you know is just a waste of time, like Candy Crush or something like that, that is a game in yeah. a classic sense. It's basically a digital board game. Very simple. One. Angry Birds. Exa well, that's real because it's bouldering in my head. Um <laughs> There's a lot of angry birds. I've noticed. <laughs> Why are they so angry? They're called, they're called feminists and they really, <laughs> oh, no. really, really get angry uh, with things that. I say, just like that sentence. <laughs> uh, a lot of angry birds. Uh, anyway, if you are a feminist, uh, don't be angry. That was a comedic bit, as we like to say <laughs> in the business. Uh, but you are angry, aren't you? Because you, you're fuming that I made the link. Uh, sorry. I apologize. But moving on. So, yeah, basically it's immersion. And a lot of parents don't understand how immersive things can actually be, mm. you see. I've explored a lot of these things. Some, some things you just fall into. Uh, the Japanese side of stuff is one of the most full-on immersions into the culture of Japan. Mm. Uh, like it really is. And so a lot of things go over people's heads in the West. Like, I remember there's always, like, stories where a game comes out and it's done exceptionally well in Japan, and when they try and release it out here, they have to retranslate it to kind of westernize it a little bit. Yeah. Which ruins this sort of base game. Yeah, the, the initial concept. Yeah. yeah, and there's, you know, like, uh, there's a series of Yakuza games, right, which is one of my biggest ones. Then they're getting more known about here, but... They did historical ones. One where you play, like, Miyamoto Musashi, who's mm. an actual historical figure in samurai lore mm. and ishin which is another samurai legend and right. these are like a historical retake using the mechanics and the kind of postmodern sort of era of yakuza so it's it's the same sensibility as the modern set in tokyo games but in a historical period mm. and they're brilliant cultural expert it's kind of in a sense a very good uh form of doing so an educational but be entertaining. So it's like watching a really good History Channel documentary, mm. but I try and make it entertaining. Yeah. So it's not yeah. just boring, right? And there's a lot of attempts. I think that they have this where Japan creates an echo chamber in its stuff. Because if you're Japanese watching this stuff, you'll know it all. You'll know all of the cultural stuff. So it's a bit of an echo chamber to Japan, but when you're a foreign from Japan, it's a really interesting Yeah, you're learning mindset. historical events. And it, it and sets you up for Asia, like for the travel to Japan. It, mm. it helps you basically, helps you on a base level. But there's a lot of bad interpretation where a lot of people don't get the synchronicities of it, yeah. think it's all weird and heighten up the strange stuff because they don't see the humor of it or it's gone over their heads a bit. And this kind of stuff really frustrates me, man. Like, yeah. I just get very annoyed by it. Yeah, I remember you um, discussing this with uh, Pete when we were doing the uh, video podcast in Japan about some of these sort of misconceptions from the West. Yeah, we... we um, well, it's, it's very difficult because Japan culturally, especially Tokyo, 
uh, as a life is literally in an echo chamber. But it doesn't propagate external cultures almost at all. Oh, they're if very you, protective. Well, if you, it's also if you see in like animation shows or whatever, and any foreign character is kind of goofy and weird, and yeah. no one really cares <laughs> about their culture at all. Yeah, they're just like, oh, you're eating a croissant. What's that? We have them. That's weird. Why are you eating that? Or oh, there's some kind of a bit manic or whatever. Yeah, and that's really kind of the experience you have being from a country and having a foreigner ask you for directions that's your experience of it but it's not a depth so a lot of the shows don't go into the depth of the cultures when you see a lot of stuff like uh black butler is an anime show right and it's set in victorian england but it doesn't really show you anything culturally english yeah it's all totally japanese but using the backdrop of england yeah right that's a so very interesting one. it's like an echo chamber like i said and they just propagate their own thing so to an average japanese kid Looking at the world, we're all the same thing as Japan everywhere in the world, apparently, but we're not. So when they go to a different country, they're like, geez, this is freer. This is liberal. I can run down the street screaming here and no one thinks I'm weird. <laughs> the ambulances don't have a megasonic blaster coming out of their top and they drive fast because, you know, it's an emergency vehicle. You know, the experience is completely overwhelming, I find. Mm. But I love that about Japan because it's one of these cultures that you have to protect, which is really what I was saying on that episode. And the reason I'm saying this now is because both of my cousins are half Japanese and mm -hmm. it's interesting mm -hmm. to live vicariously through them. Yes. Yeah, so uh, lots of things going on. Uh, I think immersive games are good. I think if they did do Hogwarts uh, Legacy with an essay writing booster pack for people. It might be uh, great for certain students. Uh, I myself would hate that. No one would buy it. If It'd be like it. the Guitar Hero of essay writing, and that would suck. Mm. Essay simulator. There's been a lot of dumb stuff, though. Like, there's been train driving simulation. I can't imagine anything duller than pressing two buttons, one to go, one to stop. On a train. Well, it's not like you have to steer it. If you're enthusiastic about trains, you'd like I've it. never understood that either. Like train spotters. How can you be enthusiastic of a train? Basically a train. A lot of people in Japan you know, like an <laughs> But you know like an elevator. Yeah. And it goes up and down. Yeah. That's what a train does. No, but in a way it's kind of like people who are enthusiastic about like vintage cars. It's about the model, it's about the No, era, but you, you control the, the car, you drive the car. The car's got to feel, it's got a soul. driving A part. train is on a rail. <laughs> it's basically a stair lift. Yeah, but it's pretty as well. You can well, the outside the, is great. Uh, yeah. But then there should be a travel simulator. It's kind of like architecture. No, I disagree. But it's a vehicle. There's also a farming simulator, right? Mm-hmm. Which you're, you're simulating farming. Yes. Which, by the way, is a job that's in rapid decline because no one <laughs> wants to do the job because of the work that it takes, yeah, right? Yeah, uh, And so there's a simulator for that. There's also a goat simulator. Yeah. Where you're simulating life as a goat. You see? <sighs> These are problematic. These are fields of things that I feel are clutching at straws. The train thing, I can understand to a point because very few people in the world will get the experience of actually driving a train. But this is the same brand that kind of made flight simulators. Mm. And they're really good because, you know, sometimes you have full, it's almost like a simulation, like you'd actually learn to fly on a simulator for a corporate 
voice school. Yeah, yeah, they use it's, it for practice. It's pretty much that yeah. on a PC, uh, dangerously uh, linked to uh, some bad stuff in history uh, because people used it as training, mm. you see. But that's way better than a train simulator, surely. Well, There's also a truck about? driving simulator okay. where you're actually delivering things in a truck Maybe these are attempts to link people who are very much into video games into vocational jobs, you know? Well, the middle place would be VR then, because VR is coming out from video games, but essentially it could be a vocational tool. Well, frankly speaking, VR would be how you command all the robots to do the farming <laughs> and the planes and the train simulation. You'll be the pilot. Mm. Or the uh, tractor operator from your living room where you're eating potato crisps whilst you've got the VR helmet on and your little gloves and stuff and it'll be an augmented farm. That would be the future. Mm. So you don't have to do... Because I think a lot of the farming work is so brutal. It's so brutal on the individual that actually having robots doing stuff like that is the way to go in the yeah. future. With more hydro, more holistic stuff. Yeah, anything heavy lifting or you know, um, rotating crops and stuff like this. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm. Thing is, would you <laughs> would you be able to call a farm organic anymore if it was automated? Yes, because that depends on the use of fertilizer. Well, see, so you wouldn't need fertilizer because and... what you would do on the robots that are farming is yeah. you'd create a static field around them. So if any pests came, yeah. they'd just blow them out of the sky. Yeah, so then by definition, it would still be organic, correct? That'd be a lot of technology. I wonder if Elon Musk is working on that. <laughs> if not, I'm going to do it. Like, basically, farming becomes an automated chess set that you play in your living room. That's an amazing idea. And they'd be Australian, and that's the beginning of the end. See, a lot of people think Terminator has a reality that we're closer and closer to, with the whole machines taking over the world. Mm -hmm. And I, I put that out there more than The Matrix and stuff like that, because it was the first real film to bring that thought across okay but they got it wrong why because in the script james cameron wrote it said what i want the terminator to be is a big australian robot and the, the design team the, the the production team were like kind of stupid and i didn't read a lot and i thought he said austrian so they brought in Schwarzenegger, <sighs> but it was actually meant to be paul hogan from crocodile dundee you know because it would have been a better film. How, how different would that have been? Well, at first you would have had like, oh, are you Sarah Connor? <laughs> He's a lot, because you see, the thing that's brilliant about the Australian accent is it always sounds positive. Yeah. If you get mugged in Sydney, you're never thinking, oh, my life's in danger. You're thinking, he's done me a favor by taking my wallet. <laughs> because they're always very positive, you see. And so the term, if you had the ultimate AI, they're not going to send a killing machine that looks like a killing machine mm. back in time. Schwarzenegger, I need you to close your boots and your motorcycle. It's not going to be that guy <laughs> who automatically sounds like he might be a dictator in the future. <laughs> it's not going to be that guy. It's going to be the guy that's like, you're right, mate. I'm, uh, I'm a bit scuppered. I don't have a jacket to wear. <laughs> And that's the Australians, <laughs> you see? And they're the best at, they're the best spies in the world, Australians. Because you would never believe that they're encroaching on your turf oh. or trying to take over the world. They should do an Australian Mission Impossible then. Well, it's what they got, what do you mean? Yeah, so the, it's a, so the spies are Australian and 
no one would know. What? You, you said they make the best spies. <laughs> the thing about Mission Impossible is no one knows they're actually spies. <laughs> so you've lost your point. It's not James Bond. Tom Cruise doesn't go into a bar and goes, Hi, Hunt, Ethan Hunt, and I'm here to steal all your, your stuff and your bank and the thing. They've got masks on. There's a lot of effort in the Mission Impossible films to, to look Australian, obviously. Um, <laughs> but basically, uh, <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, Terminator, James Cameron's script, look it up, it's not true, I'm lying, but You're look lying. it up, uh, and you'll see, I need an Austrian, uh, Australian guy, and they got it wrong, and got an Austrian guy, that's the whole, that's what happened. Okay. Wouldn't it be a better film? You could take any part of that film, and it would be better, if it was an uh, Australian guy. So, if any of our listeners are Australian filmmakers, you should go do that. Do a remake of Terminator. No, you can't. You can't. It's too big. <laughs> it's too big to remake it. But they did have their own version of it. What's that? Wolverine. The guy is practically a uh, cyborg. He is okay. Australian. Uh, he had to do an American accent. That's what ruined it. Okay. They should have had Hugh Jackman being fully... Uh, and he was called Logan, which is kind of like Paul Hogan merged together as Plogan. <laughs> you see? It's all that's what happens in Hollywood because the producer has this vision like that completely messes the film up because they're an ex hairdresser working night shifts, and then someone says, Oh, you'd be a good producer, and they do it. Or it lasts years, like for example, the guy who was meant to do the original Terminator film was a guy who worked on the Wolverine film, which is why you had an Australian as a basically a you know super killing robot. Mm -hmm. Because that's what Wolverine is, really, isn't he? He's all metal inside. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's Terminator. So I think there should be an honest remake. James Cameron, if you're listening, and I know you are, because we, we talk to everyone who's influential in the world uh, right now on the podcast, make the Terminator correctly with Australians. Just That's what's missing. People have said the Terminator film franchise is in rapid decline because mm -hmm. they're not Australian. Mm. And Australians are the best super covert operatives on the planet because you never believe that they're actually a covert operative. <laughs> I mean, Chris Hemsworth has been spying on us for years. He's not, he's not actually an actor. <laughs> he's, a, he's a highly trained... Well, the closest role he's ever had to is truth is Men in Black, you see. Um, International Men in Black. Mm which uh, was mostly America still, so I don't really understand that. Um, but anyway, Australian, I, I, I think, right, the future of filmmaking, you heard it here first, is take any amazing film of the past or genre of film and put Australians in it, and it would just be incredible because not only would the genre shift instantly, <laughs> it would be why you go to the cinema. Do You'd it. You'd get the full range. Do it. For example... Saw, if everyone was Australian, would be a comedy film. No. Wouldn't it? <laughs> How to get out of here, mate? I don't know, mate. I got tied up to the old wall. I don't know what's <laughs> going on, but there's a box, a mystery box in the middle of the room. 
Do you know how to get it? No, I don't know how to get it, mate. What's this thing around the neck? I don't know. It feels like an explosive. It does look like an explosive. My old man, Ned, he was a bombs expert. He used to mine the coals uh, in Sa- <laughs> New South Wales. And I-, I honestly think that's the same brand of uh, explosives he used. Oh, is that right, mate? Well, we're kind of up a tree in a gum tree, aren't we? Yeah, I, I-, I think we are. And then they just open a crate of Castlemaine Forex and they're really happy. It's a comedy film. Meanwhile, the cops around it are very Australian, right? The thing about Australian cops is they're very effective cops, but they always have something in nature to deal with, which is why a lot of the crime fighting in Australia is actually solved by kangaroos, <laughs> like Skippy, right? So the cop, the, the, perfectly, <laughs> the perfectly informed detective is trying to find their killer, and it, like in the Saw Australian version, and he's like, uh, excuse me, ma'am, uh, two people have gone missing. And they're like, oh, that's lovely. Can you help me get the cat out of the tree? I can't help you get the cat out of the tree, ma'am. Some people are missing. They could be dead. Oh, no, but the cat's really important to my uncle, and he's got a, he's got a dodgy ticker. And so, obviously, they, this is why it's suspenseful, because the cops can't solve the crime, because they keep having to fix... You know, cats and trees and stuff like this. Yeah. Australia is brilliant. I think that, honestly, uh, if you're listening and you're Australian, and especially on the Australian film board, make me the president of your film board and we will have a great (laughs) old time together. Uh, Yeah. And I'll do it all remotely in VR. (laughs) So uh, that's it. I think uh, both my cousins are... uh, well, they're doing all right, folks. Uh, I know you're worried, uh, disclaimer, because uh, most people who spend a lot of time, more than uh, an hour with me, have to go to serious therapy after because their minds aren't the same again. Uh, they are both fine. They're okay. They've had their time away from me now, so they're both getting on with life. Thanks for asking. I know none of you did. Um, but it was fun. It was great having them here, and hopefully it'll happen again. Um, but yeah, it's been, uh, it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks. And, uh, finally, my final point of the, uh, this week's episode is, uh, it's my 40th birthday tomorrow. So Happy by the birthday! time, by the time you're listening to this, what's going to happen is I'm going to go back to the lab that I came from. They're going to digitally remaster me, put me back together as an Australian. And I'll come out in the world as a very approachable Australian, but I'll really be a Terminator. That's the uh that's what happens when you turn 40 you get digitally remastered i'm sure the anniversary edition uh we'll be back in two weeks take care everyone uh be good and remember everything's better with an australian accent